Well, good morning again. I was beginning to wonder if we were ever going to make it here today. Um, those, uh, that last song, I am his and he is mine, is there any greater joy in knowing that? I really can't think of anything greater than knowing that I am his and he is mine. Well, it's good to see you folks again this morning. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. I must confess, with all the uh, unexpected things that happened this morning, your mind gets a little bit discombobbled. So I'll be praying that the Lord will just uh, allow His Spirit to really intervene and uh, enable us to really focus on His Word and share those things that the Lord has for us. Uh, as you know, we are looking uh, at... Uh, the, the prison prayers of Paul. Last time uh, we were together, we looked at the one in Philippians, and of course there, his prayer was that their love may abound in knowledge and discernment. And then we looked at the one in the evening in Colossians, where we were told that he prayed for enlightened behavior. And enlightened behavior meaning spiritual insight leading to a worthy walk before the Lord. And today we're going to be looking at the two prayers this morning in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to notice here again the importance of the types of things Paul prayed for. Uh, we mentioned this last time, well, let's quickly mention it in passing. You know, we spend an awful lot of time praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ's physical needs and other needs in life, but I think if we want to be honest, we really do neglect praying for the spiritual needs of one another to the degree that we should. And I can only speak for myself. I have a lot of spiritual needs, and I don't mind you praying for me about those things. Even though you don't know what they may be specifically, you still can pray that the Spirit of God will really work in my life and all these things, the spiritual aspect. Not good? Better? <laughs> okay. And what we're going to find as we look at this particular uh, epistle, uh, we have two different things that he's focusing on. The first one is found in uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And we're going to notice as we look at this particular prayer that he prayed for spiritual illumination. Now, illumination means things become bright. And you, and you see them far more clearly. And what he wanted them to see clearly was how they could experience Christ's power and Christ's hope and the great inheritance we have in him. See, we all have a little understanding of those things. But Paul's prayer for them, and of course, as we mentioned before, it's the spirit of God's prayer given through Paul. So this prayer is for all of God's children, this is the will of God and his desire for all of us. And we're going to see here that we will have greater spiritual illumination, understanding, and experience Christ's power in our life, the hope we have in him, and the blessed inheritance that is his in us and our inheritance because of him. And then as we look at the second prayer in chapter 3, we're going to see that he prayed that they would experience the fullness of God himself. 
the fullness of God himself as revealed in Jesus Christ and as ministered to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that sounds like an enormous task for this session, but we're going to be going through it briefly, giving you some very brief outline of things and so forth. The idea is, of course, you're supposed to go home and study this further, and I'm sure you, we challenged you to do that the last time I was here, and I'm sure you did. You went home and you really studied those first two prayers that we looked at. And if you didn't, you're really missing out. Because you see, the emphasis we always say is God's will, my will in my life. Well, these prayers reveal very vividly from a spiritual perspective what God's will is for every one of his blood-bought children. This is what he wants for us. And today we're going to see a few more things that he desires for us. And, of course, he desires these things for us because we are the ones who will benefit from appropriating these things in our life. So let's just read together, starting with verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you on my prayers. And this is what he prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the, in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power." which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now we're going to stop at that point. We could read on further, but we can't read all of this. Now, the first thing I want to draw to your attention here is that in this prayer, the first thing he mentions is prayer for spiritual illumination. And I've already mentioned that. And he wanted them to experience the knowledge of Christ. And you may say, well, I know a lot about Jesus Christ. Well, you have an awful lot more to know about him. And I include myself in that category. You know, I know a little bit about his power in my life. But you know... I can know so much more about his power in my life if I will just let him exercise that power in my life. And, you know, I couldn't help but notice, uh, and maybe you have too as we've gone through this prayer, how many times Paul's prayer prays for knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. And, of course, we know in Scripture the word knowledge primarily focuses on experiencing God himself in one's life. The fact that it's mentioned in every one of his prayers and over and over in his writings, obviously experiencing God himself in your life must be a very important thing. And I, and I trust all of us have experienced God in our lives. And I'm sure we have. And you know, when you truly experience him in your life, in his power and his working in your life, 
It's a marvelous thing. And yet do we desire to experience this more and more and more? Well, that was Paul's concern. It's God's will that we get to know him and experience him in our lives more and more at all times. In verses 15 and 16, we see what caused Paul to pray with thanksgiving. We see there that he prayed their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all saints. The idea here is he was thankful for the changes he has seen in the lives of the Ephesians. And I would just challenge you a little bit to think, and not literally look around now, but as you look around at this body of Christ, which we have grown to know and love greatly over the years, can you honestly say that you have seen spiritual growth and changes in the people's lives here? And I know you have to a degree, some in more than others. But is there still room for more growth? Well, there's definitely room for more growth in the spiritual life of everyone who fellowships here, including the one who's standing before you this morning. I've been saved 64 years. I have so much more to learn. I really have to grow more and more. And I, my time's running out. You see, as long as the Lord gives me breath, he wants to teach me more and more and experience more and more of himself in my life. And it's a marvelous thing that we should focus in on. And, you know, it's interesting, throughout Ephesians, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, reminds us what we are by nature and what we are now in Christ by grace. And I'm going to take just a moment to refer to some of those things because, actually, they're, they're the things that are written prior to the verse we started to read with. And we're somewhat familiar with these things. And remember, who is Paul praying for here? He's praying for the saints at Ephesus. He's not praying for himself, although I'm sure Paul prayed these things concerning himself. But just to remind you, you know, he, Paul understood. that He says, I want you to realize what you were at one time. He says, you were without Christ, you were far off, you were a stranger, you were a foreigner, you were branded by sin, you were without hope, and it goes on and on. Well, who is that true of? Every last person who is sitting in this room right now and standing in this room right now as a believer. But see, what are we now in Christ? Well, in Christ, I am now near to God, not far off. I am now a citizen. I'm no longer a stranger. I'm a son, not a foreigner. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm no longer branded by sin. The Spirit of God now resides within me. Well, not just me, but that's true of every last person in this room who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because, you see, I think it's worth noting here that the thought of their position in Christ is what caused Paul to pray for them. Now, did you catch that? What caused him to pray for them like this? It was because of their position in Christ. You know, I thought how every child of God 
needs to understand the relationship of their position in Christ and their brother's position in Christ. You see, we're all the same. You know, I couldn't help but think, you know, if I would focus in on every one of my brothers and sisters that I fellowship with, and the key focus of my thought is their position in Christ. How different. I would react towards them, speak about them or to them. You know, quite often, what motivates us in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, unfortunately, is some of our own legalistic traditions that we hold to personally. Uh, ideas that I have, they may differ from yours. My interpretation of a passage as opposed to your interpretation of a passage. And you know, we can go on with lists like this. You see, we allow things like this to affect our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we would focus on our position in Christ, it's, we're all the same. We're just saying. And every one of us can say that and say this truthfully if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. I am his and he is mine. Is that how you literally look at every one of your brothers and sisters in Christ here? You see, that's what Paul is saying, you know. I, I, I pray for you because I see your position in Christ. It's the same as mine. And what a marvelous position we have in Christ. Yeah, we have our faults. We're all different. Our personalities can be different. Our interests can be different. And many times we allow those to become the barriers. We forget the most important thing is our position in Christ. And if I think of Bob and Dave and everybody in this room as you're exactly as I am in Christ. We're the same. No difference in God's eyes. See how different that fellowship could be. And he goes on and points out, see, all believers are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Every last one. All are predestinated unto the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Every believer is accepted in who? The beloved one. Everyone is redeemed through his blood and forgiven by his grace. Every one of us are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. If you go to the book of Romans, in the first nine chapters, you'll find out that every last one of us has been reconciled, has been justified, has been sanctified, has been glorified in and through Christ Jesus. If we learn nothing else from this introductory part of Paul's prayer, why did he pray so fervently for the saints? Because he saw them in their position in Christ Jesus. Oh, may we do that. We have to move on. You know, also, their position in Christ and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their love for all the saints, along with Paul's joy, hope, for them, brought him through the throne of grace on their behalf. See, 
he thought of their position in Christ, then what did it drive him to do? Pray for them. Pray for them. And I trust we'll be willing to do a little bit more of that. Pray for the spiritual well-being of all of our brothers and sisters in Christ because we're in the same position in Christ. Now, he prayed for several things on behalf of the saints. In verse 17, he prayed that they would receive wisdom, revelation of God the Father of glory concerning Christ. It's interesting that phrase, God the Father of glory, may better be rendered the Father of whom glory belongs. The Father to whom glory belongs. So he's praying that they would receive wisdom and revelation concerning the Father of whom glory belongs, concerning who? Concerning Christ. He has seen me, the Lord says, has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. In Romans 8.29, we are to be conformed to the image of his, his, the Father's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? They're one and the same. You know, how often do we really give glory to the Father of whom glory belongs concerning Jesus Christ? I know we do. As you gather around the table, the Lord's table, which we really miss doing with you folks this morning, I uh, felt bad about that all the time I'm sitting there in the traffic jam. Oh, marvelous time that we're going to miss today. We do give praise to the Father for the Son, and we should ever do that. The Father is worthy of the glory that is to be given him because of the Son he gave to us. Revelation, of course, relates to truth. Wisdom relates to life. Thus, truth must become operative. In Romans 8.29, we read, We are to be conformed to the image of, the, of his, the Father's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, the Spirit of God alone can reveal such revelation and truth. And I sometimes think we forget that. Who relays, relays all this marvelous revelation and truth and wisdom to us? It's the Spirit of God. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit, number one, that we are even children of God. And the reason I wanted to emphasize this aspect a little bit about the Holy Spirit being the one who conveys these things. You know, if we desire to live the abundant life that we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's one person we have to allow to really control it, and that's the Spirit of God. There's a passage that we read in Luke chapter 5, verse 4, where Peter was told to launch out into the deep by the Lord. Launch out into the deep. And, you know, we receive, and why did he ask them to do that? So they would receive an abundance. And you can envision them, and I can envision this too. We live on Lake Michigan. A lot of people fish, a lot of fishing in Lake Michigan. And I see people standing along the shoreline throwing a line out. And once in a while, they might catch something. Okay? But you know, if you go out into the deep, now granted, you can't walk out into the deep on your own, 
But those who go out into the deep come back with all kinds of fish. And what did Peter experience when he listened to the Lord's statement launch out into the deep? He received an abundance. But the problem with most of us as believers is we just like to spiritually get our feet wet. You know, just take your shoes off, roll up your pant legs, and just wait out there a little ways. Well, there, there's some blessing in doing that. Uh, there's some benefit in doing that. You get to experience a little bit of that. But you see, if you really want the abundant life that you can have in Christ, you have to get off the shore and you have to launch out into the depths of the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. And there's only one person who can enable you to do that. And that's the Spirit of God. Allow him to reveal the truth from God's word. We know the Spirit of God uses the word of God to reveal the will of God in our life. So I don't know if you're one of these people who, you know, like to dabble and get your feet a little wet in the scriptures. You know, you have your five minutes in the morning and you read a couple of verses and you have a quick prayer and you're on your way. Well, I'm not saying that isn't good. I'm saying that's not enough. It's just not enough. You see, you're never going to get to really grow in the knowledge of, of God in your life, experience him in your life, if all you're willing to do is get your feet wet. You have to launch out into the deep things of God. And of course, there are those who say, and that kind of leads to verse 18, it says there, his prayer was, that the eyes of their understanding might be enlightened to what? Full knowledge of God. The eyes of their understanding. And of course, in Scripture, our body really means, or the heart and the eyes and all these things, it really means our total being. Every aspect of our being is to be enlightened to the full knowledge of God. And now we've seen, of course, that the source of the illumination is God the Father through the Son. The channel is God the Holy Spirit. The subject here is full knowledge of God himself. Now, I think what this verse is telling us is that proper understanding and spiritual truth is depending upon a loving heart indwelt by a loving God. Not how great your IQ is. You'd be surprised how many people have said to me, as I talk to them about really studying the word and, and you know, so forth, oh, yeah, but Bob, I never was a student. You know, I, I never really uh, enjoyed reading and studying. I, that's just not my nature. So there's no way that I can really understand the things that, to maybe the degree you do. You know, you, you, you have, you know, this intelligence that you can go out and do these things. And I say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. When it comes to spiritual things, your IQ means absolutely zilch. You're not going to figure out anything. You could have the highest IQ in this room, 
And you have no advantage over the one who may have the lowest IQ in this room when it comes to spiritual things. Because who is the teacher of spiritual things? It's the Spirit of God. You see, that's what we have to understand. All these things we're talking about, yeah, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened to the full knowledge of God is available to every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're not experiencing God in your life to a more fuller experience and capacity, why is that? It's just because you're not willing to let the Spirit of God reveal these things to you. You may be the slowest reader in the world. I'm not the world's fastest reader, but you know, I can sit down and read. It doesn't matter how fast I read. I can sit and read slowly, but with a heart and attitude saying, Lord, through your spirit, teach me something from what I'm going to read today. And then you just take your time and read it and allow the spirit of God to minister to you through his word and his power. See, are you willing to do that? That's what Paul was praying for. And remember, this is the spirit of God's prayer for you as well, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened to the full knowledge of God. And if you're willing to listen, he will teach you and enable you to experience more and more of God in your life. And then in verses 18 and 19, Paul specifies three areas of spiritual knowledge of God in which he desires for the saints. And, and so should we, by the, for that matter. First of all, that they may uh, know the hope of his, that's God's calling. This points to their own eternal destiny. And we could spend an awful lot of time on this, but you know, do you really live in full expectation of what God has called you to and for. And we might even include from. You know, those who look forward with great expectation, to that day they're going to stand before the Lord. What a difference it makes in your spiritual life now. You know, I'm going to be with them, yes, someday, and I say, well, then I'll understand everything. Yeah, but why sit and wait? Till you get the glory to understand more of God. He expects you to learn more of him right now. And enjoy him now. In his fullness. In his greatness. In his power. In your life. And as you focus upon the hope of his calling. It will cause us to do those particular things. And of course this hope of his calling. Secures for us and reserves for us in the heavenly life which he awaits us. He also wanted them to fully know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That word riches could also be rendered the wealth of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You've got to read this one carefully. Whose glory are we talking about? We're talking about the Lord's glory. And the Lord's glory is what or who? The saints. 
his inheritance in the saints. And of course, when I, every time I read and study this, you know, there's two blessed thoughts, and the one we always focus on is, well, boy, when I get the glory, he's going to give me an inheritance. And, you know, I understand that he's able to give me an inheritance that I can truly rejoice in. But what really boggles my mind is the first part. When you look at me as being his inheritance, I think, wow. He's getting nothing. What possibly could he see in me that would cause him to look at me and glory in his inheritance? Well, it's what he's done, what he's done in my life. What he's done to make it possible for me even to be there with him. You know, Scripture reminds us, you know, quite often, you know, he looks upon us as a treasure of incomparable worth. Think about that. He looks upon us as treasures of incomparable worth. And as you look at yourself, you say, you've got to be kidding but you look at yourself through what Christ has done in your life and for you and what he has made you, well, you can understand how he can glory in what he has done in us. We are his inheritance. And you know, when you think about passages like 1 Peter 2.9 and Titus 2.7, they are his own special people. We are his own special people. He's redeemed us. He's purchased us. We belong to him. I'm his. He's mine. And then you think about Hebrews 12, 2. It tells us that the redeemed of the Lord gathered with him eternally was the joy that was set before him to endure and despise the shame of the cross. Think about that. And I want you to understand, as we started this morning, that's true of every last one of you in this room who know the Lord. Shouldn't we be praying for one another? <laughs> really praying for one another in the spiritual realm of things? When you stop to think, yes, I am the joy of his inheritance, but so is every last one of you who knows him, who he's redeemed by his blood. Well, we have to move on because time doesn't allow us to go on forever. In, in verse 19, then he talks about what he wants them to know fully is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Well, we talk a lot about how great and powerful our Lord and God is. But do our lives show evidence that we really believe he's all-powerful in our lives? You know, power here is a spiritual dynamic in, in living force. It is the energy of God's inherent strength. Have you ever tried to describe or even really think about just how much strength and power God has? 
And we have things around us that remind us a little bit if we're willing to open our eyes to, you know, like creation and other things. You, you look up at night into the stars and the sky and all these things. You look at the creation around and many other things as well. FBI or F.B. Meyer trying to give some indication about the extent and the greatness of his inherent strength. He says, it is power. It is his power. It is great power. Nothing else would suffice. It is exceeding great power beyond the furthest cast of thought. Well, that doesn't even really yet <laughs> contain what it really means, but it gives you some idea. You know, this power of God, the marvelous thing, is it's there. But who is it directed to or toward? Us. This great, powerful God directs all his power towards us. Well, who are the us? Those who have placed their faith and trust in the person and the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you experiencing God's great power to his fullness in your life? You know, one uh, answer to this would be how you look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. We know the verse, all the promises of God are yes and amen in and through Christ Jesus unto the glory of God. Every last promise has God's power behind it. But are you claiming those promises? Do you live in view of every last one of those? See, how different our life would be if we would understand uh, when people say, well, would you be willing to do this for the Lord's service this week? Oh, I'm not up to that. I, know. <laughs> I can't do that. I know somebody over here would be much better at doing that. Wait a minute. Nobody said you were able to do it, nor is the person you're pointing to able to do it in themselves. See, the only way we can be used of the Lord and serve the Lord and experience his power in our life is when we claim his promises. See, all the promises of God are yea and amen in and through Christ Jesus. And why is that true? Because the great power of God is behind every one of those great promises. Do you claim them? Are you conscious? Yes, we are weak. No question. But we have this tremendous power of God available to us. It's directed towards us. Well, we don't have a lot of time, hardly any time at all. Well, let's at least read through the second one here. I'll just make a couple of comments, because tonight I want to uh, move on to a different subject, which is going to be the Lordship of Christ, which is quite fitting after looking at all the things here he's ex explaining to us as his will. So let's just read together, starting in chapter 3, verse 14. And I'll just make a few brief comments, and you're going to have to do a little bit more homework on this one and the other one. That's the nice thing about being a teacher, you know, you... Get some information, or you go home and study. And that's where you learn. All right, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. There's an awful lot of those few verses. Am I going to be able to explain that to you in four minutes? No. I couldn't explain all of that to you in four hours. But you see, it's before you. This is God's word. The Spirit of God has brought it to your attention today. But he wants it more than just bring it to your attention. And as you look at these, there's just several things. The emphasis here that Paul desires above all else is the fullness of God in their lives. The fullness of God in their lives. And he mentions just several things. First of all, in verse 16, that the strengthening of the Spirit of God in the inner man, the very core of your spiritual being. How much strength are you allowing the Spirit of God within you to do the work he wants to do in your life? You pray this prayer for me every day, please. But not just me. Yes, for yourself, but every one of the dear saints you know and love in the Lord. They need to be strengthened by the Spirit of God every day. Verse 17, to experience the indwelling of the Christ of God in their hearts. You know, Scripture makes it pretty clear that, clear that we are supposed to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And it also says we're to allow Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith. You put those two things together, the word of Christ and the Christ of the word in your life. Oh, what a difference it's going to be in knowing the fullness of God in your life. We're to grow in those areas. The third thing, and also in verse 17, the result of Christ indwelling, that we may be well or will be rooted and grounded in love. Focus on those two words, wounded and grounded. Rooted, grounded. We understand that. You look at trees, rooted, grounded. And we have big trees back home. And I tell you, those roots go deep. And when we have what we call shear winds, those trees can be humongous. And when they're blown over, it just doesn't fall down. You would be surprised the amount of earth it brings up with it. It's a massive hole. Because, see, where all those roots are grounded way down, it all comes at the same time. That's how rooted and grounded they are in the soil. And, you know, as you think about being rooted and grounded in God's love, the idea is to establish in his love as a way of our life. You know, William, William Scrogey, and I'll just close with this little quote, love is a soil in which our life must have its roots. It is the rock upon which our faith is grounded and must ever rest. End of quote. Love is the soil in which our life must have its roots. 
You know, I couldn't help but think, um, there's a song, We Have an Anchor, that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. And yes, they do. They roll. Fastened to the rock, which cannot move. Grounded, firm, and deep in the Savior's love. You know, an anchor is no good unless it's a good anchor. Who is the anchor of our soul? The Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, you can have the best anchor in the world, but if it's not seated in something that it can grab a hold of, I can remember being in a boat and we dropped the anchor and all of a sudden we're drifting right now. I thought, what in the world? Well, we put it on, ended up on a piece of cement that was down there. Didn't do anything. I remember another time we put it in and we couldn't get the anchor out. It had gotten such soft muck, <laughs> we had to cut the rope. We couldn't get the anchor up. But you see, I have an anchor that keeps my soul. That's the Lord. And where is that anchor fastened? In glory, in Christ Jesus. You see, we have this love of God within us, and this love of God is to be shed abroad. You know, we've just touched on all these things, and our time is done. You know, someday all of this stuff is going to be a reality, completely. But don't wait until that day comes. Go back and look over these three prison prayers and look at every specific thing that the Spirit of God is teaching you that should be true in your life. This is his will for your life. Is your will God's will for your life? Is this something you're really willing to pray for in relationship to your brothers and sisters in Christ? You want to see this meeting grow and prosper and the love for one another grow and everything? Well, there's only one way it's going to happen. <laughs> see, you have to have a greater understanding and experience of the knowledge of God in your life. Let him be God of your life. And that's going to lead us to our subject tonight, which is going to follow this. And it's going to be on the Lordship of Christ. Now, we've known all these things. We've been mentioned. All these things have been taught to a degree. Well, tonight we're going to find out. <laughs> is Jesus Christ really Lord of your life? If he is, these things will become more evident. And if he's not... Well, then, we'll read these and say, yeah, those are wonderful truths, but I've got to move on to the next chapter. <laughs> May the Lord just apply these things to our hearts and lives. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, how truly thankful we are for the greatness of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for our Heavenly Father. Oh, the love of our Heavenly Father towards us. He showed his love toward us, and yet, while we were yet sinners, he sent his Son, his only begotten Son, to be the propitiation for our sin. We're so thankful for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who indwells us through his Spirit. We're so thankful for that divine nature that's been imparted to us, equipping us with everything we need for spiritual life and godly living. We're so thankful for your word, 
when we do receive instruction from it. May we understand that the greatest teacher of all is the Spirit of God within us. That the Spirit of God will reveal through the Word of God your will in our lives. These last three lessons have focused on many things that are your will for your children. And your will is that we pray one for another concerning all of these things. May we be doers of this word and not hearers only. Heart us now with your blessing. Bless our time of fellowship around this table this afternoon and throughout this evening. We love you, Lord, and thank you again for all you've done for us and for all that you're yet to do. Accept our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.